We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Intelligent selection leads to effective performance and a rollicking 3-0 victory at home in our opening game of the season. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. That's right, we got the season off to a perfect start. 3-0 home victory. It's just what you want. The new signings come in and look fantastic. The manager got everything spot on. Um, yeah, it's just really hard not to feel super optimistic about the title challenge. Um, you know, I mean, obviously there was some worry with the results in August, but as they don't count... Um, we really should just put those behind us and look to the future. So here to discuss that with me is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo! Woohoo, indeed. And Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, look, we worked ourselves up. Let's face it. It's what we do as a fan base. But when the chips are down, Arson knows what he's doing. And now that the season is officially underway, um, I think we can see that he's got it under control. So, wait, I'm being handed something now. They're going to count the points from August. All right, that I'm going to. I'll scrap the the opening and, and redo it and post after this. But that certainly puts a we've got three spin. points from August. To yeah, add okay. To that. yeah, okay, um, okay. So Paul, I mean, he he didn't give Alexis a start. Not super surprising coming off the international break. But when you look at the mood around the club and around the way the window closed and around the way we've been, uh, if not performing, certainly the results we put up in the performance in Anfield. This was just what he needed: easy, comfortable home victory and it starts by getting the selection right what did you make of the team he picked and were you surprised at all that to, to see him sticking with the back three so it's great when you t- sometimes it's great when you take arson's choices away from him um and in a way he, he didn't have too many ways to go on this and it 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 pl- proved to be a strength no i very much suspected 
I, and I think I said at the last pod that he'd stick with the back three. Basically, everybody was away. Um, so to make the adjustments, yes, we know how to play with a back four. But to make the adjustments, he wasn't going to have much time uh, to get everybody's buy into that. And I think it's as much an emotional s- switch for the squad as it is a tactical switch to say, hey, guys, we're giving up on a back three temporarily or long term. That That's kind of... That's significant, and I don't think you wanted to roll those dice, and I don't think you can stuff the genie back in the bottle after you pulled him out and then stuff him back in again. I'm not sure where we're at with the genie in the bottle at this point, but I don't think I think it would have been a huge move to go back to the back four, um, and it would have it kind of would have been like bottling it. It would have been like the first time we'd a really bad performance. We bottled it and went back to a back four. Says you had, you had, you really weren't invested in it at all. Now I know we all have maybe different viewpoints as to how invested the manager is in it the long term. But to bottle it, kind of game number th- uh, four, four into I the guess, season, yeah. yeah, into the season after you've said you were going to... I mean, he didn't just say he'd start the first game. He said he'd start the season with it. It just would have looked weak. So I think... And let's be honest, it wasn't the issue. We kind of made the point the other way around that he that he made our back three play like our back four had played for large parts of last year. So, you know, if he were honest with himself... Um, it, that wasn't the issue. Uh, it was really about mentality against Liverpool. I mean, you know, you mentioned lineup and picking a better lineup. I still say that lineup was good enough to put in a, at least a, a, a decent performance, a strong performance at Liverpool, even if it wasn't our best lineup. The lineup we played at Liverpool should have been able to perform. Uh, and that team looked beat before it started, whereas this time round, our team went out charged up pressing, uh, playing, connecting. Um, and yes, you can run, you know, I ran Bournemouth through the Crapatron, Crapatron 4000, which, as you may remember, is this analog device with wheels and cogs that I use to decipher our performances against shit teams in shit circumstances. And even at the end of that, we were really good. And yes, they were a bit shit. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive. By the way, I have a Rube no. Goldberg machine that makes the cold opens I do for the podcast. So we each have our own yeah. thing. Okay, um, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, well, well, look, I, I think it's it's fair to say that you know he picked the back three um, the way we'd want him to pick the back three instead of the way he had been, shoehorning players into positions that don't necessarily fit them. Um, I think it's interesting, just as an aside, I don't know if we need to get into it right now, to see Monreal develop into that because, you know, for the most part, I think he has been one of those quietly really important players for us through the seasons, and the way he's now adapting to just being one one of the uh, three in the back three is really impressive. But Clive, the the players that obviously are still under the microscope to some extent are uh, Lacazette and Kolasinac, um, being that they're the new arrivals, and they both had a big impact on the game, but I want to start with Kolasinac. This was his first chance to start uh, as a left wing back, and while he didn't have a lot to do defensively, which may have a big impact on how we feel about his performance, he certainly was involved in the attack. 
Um, one of the things I noticed, you know, when he, he was able to get to the end line, he, he prefers the cut back. He seems to be much more intelligent about the final ball than any of the players we've seen playing in that position. Is he the, I know it's on the basis of one start, but does he seem to be a different class of attacking wing back than what we've had on either side, really, for several seasons? Yeah, he is a... Uh going to be a major player for us because um, the way we attack, we are very left-sided biased, right? So we attack for Alexis a lot and it's very important that that combination really, really works and, and what he adds is uh, timing but you're absolutely right, Elliot. When he gets into the final the final bit when most people lose their composure, he almost gains composure and on, and on the cross, although he's running at full speed he sort of dinked that cross. And the moment he left his boot, he thought, we're going to get a chance from this. He really, you know, so a lot of people in, in British football, they, they hit areas. He hits players. He really picks people out. You know, sometimes you get a new from the crowd for just for putting a cross into a good area. Then it's the, it's the forwards issue for not getting there. This guy says, no, I'm in this situation. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to make an, an assist happen. And he really does... It's a great a point, Clive. Can I just throw in, you hit something for me that I hadn't realized before, which is how accurate all his crosses have been. And is that yeah. because he gets to the byline, but also quite close in? He's not swinging them from where, say, Ox would have swung them. Yeah, he drives. He drives. But the interesting thing is, Paul, he's got different types of crosses. He's also got the power to do the power flat cross low down across the face. But he's got dinks. I mean, I went to the preseason mm. game and he dinked. He dinked one there. Yep. This was like a dink cross where he sort of faded it into the area. So he's he's a serious guy when he gets into the last third. I felt he was actually. I thought well better though. He played really really well. There was a couple of occasions where he didn't read the one two with with Klesinek and and basically. We just broke down a couple of times, and there's a, there's a few murmurs in the crowd. But as soon as he gets the ball as he wants it, then those murmurs go away. And fair enough, when Alexis came on, they did a couple of one-twos that look very interesting for the future. So um, uh, though I, I see a real combining player there, and one's going to get a lot of assists. I see the other side with Bellerin more of a counter-attacking side and a bit more of a wall-pass side rather than a... A, a pure assist side, you know. So, um, so yeah, you know the what? two of them are great balance. Surely, it will benefit him to see another wide player being a little more thoughtful about the final ball, looking up, picking out a man, pulling it back, playing. Because I even saw Bellerin making some, and maybe it's this is pure narrative or or ad hoc analysis, but playing a little bit more intelligently to the top of the box instead of whipping it in. Um, you know, I mean, I yeah, think I, you know when you have Oxley Chamberlain or Kieran Gibbs. You know, in the wide position on the other side, you don't necessarily have that that person that you can use as a role model in a way. And I think Kalasinak's approach to how he plays the final ball can only help Bellerin in terms of seeing the right way to do it. Yeah, I, I sort of agree with you there. I think um, both sides, they didn't just bash the ball in. If the, if the ball wasn't there or a player wasn't there, they they turned out or they recycled again and, and, and played... And played, moved the ball around, and re until we had the right type of possession that we wanted. Bournemouth allowed us to do it. It's quite interesting watching the team allowing Arsenal to dictate the pace of the game they want to play, versus a team like Liverpool that didn't really allow us to play how we want to play. And that's that's something we have to crack this year. What happens when we get 
pressurize and can't find the rhythm and pace of pass, where do we go as a unit? Because once this team got into a rhythm, they looked unstoppable. Then you ask yourself, well, why was that? Did Bournemouth let us? Or were we just very tenacious and very aggressive and very, very much focused? I think it's a bit of both. I think um, it's, it's amazing what a bit of criticism does. Home game, the crowd was very sort of expectant and wondering what we we're going to see. And the players took it away. They just said, we're going to play and you'll have to support us. And that's how it, and that's how it turned out. Yeah, and I, I think it's pretty clear the one thing that neither of you have brought up yet is that by selling Oxlade-Chamberlain, the curse is now at Liverpool. And so we are free of it. Um, you know, I, I don't think you can chalk it up to coincidence that we lost uh, 4-0 uh, in his final game with us and they lost 5-0. Was it 5-0? It was 5-0. Yeah. yeah, it was 5-0. In his first game with them. Disappointingly. Yeah, disappointingly. And so I think quite clearly that all of you Arsene Wenger haters out there now have to admit the problem was Oxlade-Chamberlain all along. Um, so now that we got that out of the way, uh, Paul, final thoughts on the lineup and, and uh, yeah, in particular maybe Danny Welbeck? Yeah. So the fascinating question is, if Alexis had been available and fully fit, would arguably the man of the match... Welbeck, and when we, we t- when you look at the pressing, uh, obviously the the breakdown from Adrian Clark this morning um, yeah, did he a called really out good how, segment. How well we pressed, yep. Yeah, and I thought we pressed well, but it wasn't until I saw that segment I saw just how we pressed really well, not just effectively, uh, coordinated. It, it wasn't a two man or a three man; it was a five man press, especially in the early stages. I thought that was excellent, and and Clive did hit on this. Um, but, I mean, we don't you have don't a have better You don't have to give him present. credit, Paul. Uh, seriously. Yeah. Just, just keep yeah, going. I'm taking it. I'm he, taking nah, it. Trust me, hell. the there, only there the time problem. I give Clive credit is when he demands it. So he, he really does deserve it. Here. He, um, he, just so everyone knows, he typed in huge capital letters in our Skype chat. That was my point, Paul. Please credit me. So, <laughs> you know, I don't want you to think Paul did this <laughs> out of the kindness of his heart. Okay, keep going. Sorry. Uh, I did not have a choice. But, I mean, Welbeck is our best presser, I think. Um, and, you know, you, if you're the manager, you know what you're going to get from him every game. I mean, he was actually our best presser of, of not many against uh, when he, for his section against Liverpool. But if we play Alexis in this game, does Welbeck get on the field? And who does he get on instead of? It's a fair so, question. I mean, I think it's one of the reasons the back three is also going to come back into focus versus a back four, just in terms of what we do about the midfield and, and getting yeah. that extra attacking player on. I, you know, I mean, Welbeck obviously had the moment where he pressed Begovic, took the ball off him. Lacazette was maybe unlucky not to get there a half step sooner and, and score. Begovic made a, a good recovery save. And then one of the goals came from Lacazette pressing, chasing back, getting the ball off the Bournemouth players. And I think, look, we have tried to press a little bit from the front throughout this season. It just hasn't been as coordinated as it was in this game. Maybe they're figuring out how to do it. It also may be the fact that Bournemouth really didn't look comfortable getting the ball out from the back that emboldened us to really get into them, realizing that we could take the ball off them. I think what, what's problematic for us with the press is when they start to break it, when they start to have that, that outlet pass or know how to break it down, a lot of times I think we either give up pressing or we're reluctant to press or we do it unintelligently. I mean, think of how many times this season we've seen Shaka when, when the uh, possession shit changes over, Shaka pressing up at a time when he shouldn't be. 
Um, so I, yeah. I still think I, the I really think this was right. one of our. Yeah, I think that's absolutely. Right. I think this is our one, probably our best pressing performance in recent memory, including the games against Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought this was just. This wasn't a three-man or four-man press. The whole front five, six, or so were in a coordinated fashion, especially in the early stages. Uh, it's clear to me what the game plan was, and we really stuck it to them. And I just wonder how good a performance it would have been without Welbeck and how you get him in the team when Alexis gets picked. So that's kind of a fascinating question for me, what we do going forward. Because for, oh, yeah. for me, he's a starter without a nailed-on position. He's, he, he's, he, and he's, mm-hmm. In this format, I don't even think you can say he's a utility player, apart from the fact that you could play him at striker, but probably won't, we won't do from now on. The funny thing is, despite his challenges with finishing, and obviously he rectified that to some extent in this game, it's hard to think of too many performances where we looked insipid, lifeless, uh, without threat in games where Welbeck started. Now, that's meaningless if he's not finishing the chances. I mean, he had the first chance of the game against Liverpool. He didn't put it away. But he definitely gives you that energy, that pressing, that capability to to affect the game in the air, on the ground, with his running, um, with his tracking back. Um, Now, I know, obviously, Clive... We don't like to pick on Paul, but as you have sort of a better seeing of the game and know the answer to the question he posed, I guess I'll just let you answer it. Uh, Paul seems a little flummoxed about what to do with Welbeck vis-a-vis Alexis's return. Why don't you go ahead and educate us? No, I just think uh, I think it's, we have some decisions to make. Well, don't be uh, humble we, now. We, Tell us the answer, man. <laughs> well, we're going, we're, we're, going, we're going to Chelsea. Right? That's what we all think about at the back of our minds. And we are going away to a top six team, and we don't win. And I ask myself, where was the confidence to put that amount of energy in Anfield? So by picking someone like Welbeck, and, and I would pick him over Ozil for the Chelsea game. I know that's probably going to make some people wonder, but you know, ask yourself a question. The energy required for a away game when we have two in midfield, we need a number of people working very hard at the top end of the pitch. I'm not saying Ozil didn't work very hard against Bournemouth. I went to the game and he worked incredibly hard. There's yeah, the most sprints requ- of anybody in the game. I think it was uh, 70. Yeah, 70 sprints yeah, in the 70 game. Yeah. He was all over the pitch. And he was all over the pitch. And, I, and I'll tell you what, even in the 90th minute, he was on the last man, wanted the ball played down the sides. So it wasn't It wasn't just in patches. It was for the entire game. But we can't be afraid to say, okay, it hasn't worked in a top six away for a while. And maybe we need more energy, more aggression, more fitness for the start of a game. And then we make changes later on. And let's try something else. Let's have, you know, uh, Welbeck, Alexis and Lacazette maybe up front or, and um, and have the two in midfield. We keep talking about three at the back. And I, and I firmly believe three is the magic number we need to think about. We have two decisions all season. Whether it's three at the back, or is that a three subtle way? Just midfield. quickly, is that your subtle way of saying we should permanently remove Tim from the pod and just keep it to three of us? <laughs> no, because no, no. that that's super passive aggressive. You could just like tell him on no, WhatsApp. No. Or something. I, I I bumped into Tim in the game, so I actually bumped into him in the stand. So we had a good. Now that's not passive podcast. aggressive. That's just aggressive. Yeah, we had, we had a one minute podcast, and uh, which was podcast gold that would never be released. Had a quick chat, and um, but yeah, we had a good laugh after the game. So um, good stuff. go on. Sorry. So so, so yeah, it was. Um, Three is the magic number for me. It's three at the back or it's three in centre midfield. And you do what you need to do at the back to allow the three in centre midfield to actually happen. We have to think about centre midfield when we come to these bigger games because we can't do what happened on Liverpool all over again. And what happened in this game 
was there was a there was a massive difference with the centre midfield compared to the Liverpool game. I thought a player that I'm not a fan of, Aaron Ramsey, played really well in this game, really controlled, and the way he moved, he normally moves in straight lines from from the centre straight through to centre forward, and what he did a lot more this game was run on the arc, left to right and was available to all players to give him the ball, and he recycled it really, really well. I often say, if he ever decided to do as much running in a smaller space, he could be a really dominant midfielder and allow us to have overloads in other areas. But what he chooses to do sometimes is play football in areas where he can't get back from. And I thought he was much smarter and only started to break forward when we were 3-0 up and when the game was done. And I thought he was... um, a very very good performance, and if you it shows you what can happen when you are uh, play under instruction, when you're coached, and have respect for your teammates, that all units can actually work. Yeah, I I think this this is good to see. The interesting thing, Paul, that I would say here is, if you wanted to be a little bit um, not cynical, but if you wanted to be a little you know c- contrarian, I guess is the word I'm looking for, you could say that actually, other than the Liverpool game. We've played well, in particular, in the attacking half in every single game this season. We scored four in the opening game uh, in a game that we probably should have won much more comfortably. Uh, On XG, we were dominant. The Stoke game, we created lots of great opportunities. We were unlucky not to have a goal counted for us, unlucky not to get penalties. On XG, we dominated that game. And we were dominant on XG in this game and scored three and could have had more. Um, Putting the Liverpool game aside because of all the, the problems that we've had facing pressing teams and top six sides away and all the things we've already discussed. Was this game actually really a change at all or more of the same of what we've seen all season other than the Liverpool game? Um, I, I take your point on the attacking side. It feels like a change because all the, all the pieces worked. Uh, the integration of our midfield with defense was... Um, I, I think Clive makes a great point on Ramsey. His discipline, his tu- being tuned into where he needed to be was much stronger in this. And I really felt that throughout the team going forwards or backwards, particularly going backwards, they'd got the memo, which we hadn't seen in the first two games, where, as you said, offensively, we were quite impressive going forward. So uh, to me, that's the big change. Um, this was a much more balanced, integrated team, um, but really thriving off the pressing, um, co- a coordinated press, uh, pressurizing them in their final third, but then in a coordinated fashion, uh, falling back as a unit when they had the ball. So it, it's just like we got the message right. It may have had a lot to do with playing people in position. Uh, playing players who knew how to play the system. And I think a lot to do with Welbeck. I think uh, uh, Alexis is going to be a huge player for us, potentially, as usual. But he's, especially at the moment with his mindset, it seems like he's a little separated out from the team. And maybe I'm projecting on performances that haven't happened yet. Uh, I think Welbeck was a big piece of this performance because he's, probably our ultimate team player and in this team pressing and uh, defending from the front I think it was a huge piece of why this worked as an integrated uh, 11 man performance he he certainly creates that little bit of chaos and I think you need that player that player who can run in behind that player who 
is all energy, who's nipping at people's heels, who, I mean, when he, for the goal he almost scored, the chip goal, not just the acceleration, but the footwork. I mean, there was a lot of technical yeah. skill there. And if he starts to put all that together, we've always said he's, he's a 9 or 10 out of 10 player and everything but finishing. And if, if he starts to develop a confidence in front of goal, it does become a challenge to, to find ways to leave him out. Um, but, Paul, I guess I'll stay with you just for a second, then I'll come to Clive because I know midfield is a big issue for Clive. I mean, you can look at this another way. Uh, 7 a.m. kickoff did a great by-the-numbers piece for our blog. You should go look at it. Uh, you specifically, Paul. Educate yourself, man. Um, no, everyone should go look at it. And I, I think the interesting thing is Shaka had the lowest pass completion percentage of anyone in the entire squad uh, other than Czech. 72.7% completion percentage, which is terrible from a central midfielder, especially one who's expected to be the, the person who starts the attack, who collects it from the, the back four, who is the last line of defense in a very real way. Ramsey wasn't much better in the 70s. In fact, the majority of our midfield and attacking players had completion percentages in the 70s. And there was a period in the 80th minute where Mustafi was sliding uh, Koscielny in on goal in the penalty area. Um, we were pushed way up the pitch at times. There were center backs two-thirds of the way up the pitch. Shaka uh, and Ramsey at times were in the final third. And so I guess are we still lack? I mean, if Bournemouth had more composure on the ball, a better out ball, maybe a speedier or more powerful player to run in, are, are we? Are the warning signs still there? Are we still potentially allowing ourselves to be sucked too far up the pitch to let our midfield get too disconnected from from the center backs, and and that vulnerability was still there, just sort of concealed by the fact that Bournemouth didn't have the the players or the ability to to exploit it. Yeah, I mean, maybe there's something to that. I I, I mean, the eye test of the game. Uh, I'm surprised that we the stats you're quoting in terms of how many passes we missed. It didn't feel like that. I don't feel we were taking risks. I think maybe we just played the opposition, and and when you're, when you don't sense the threat for them, you might as well go bigger on your passes. I think we were just taking the energy and going for it, and and taking higher risk passes because there was there were goals at the end of those every time it came off. So, but you might be right. Maybe it's a false dawn, but that's my feeling on it. We were just. We turned up the dial. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chaka was was looking for those line breaking passes, uh, and you know there were another f- three, four, five goals in this for for us if everything had come off for us. Um, so you know there's, there was uh, I remember an eye catching through ball that put um, Ozil into the box. Uh, I think that was his one with his shot on goal, and um, it, it kind of caught my eye because there were easier good passes but he spotted this one straight off because i think that's where everybody's eye was they were going for the big swing at this point so maybe that's it maybe you're right maybe there's more trouble to come yeah and look i mean i'm not saying we played poorly i think what we did really effectively is the minute the ball was lost we were switched on to pressing and winning it back and bournemouth didn't have the composure or the options as an outlet to recover from that um, and so when we lost the ball, we actually turned it into an opportunity to create attacks, essentially counter-pressing. And, and you know, we got a first-hand look at how dangerous that can be um, at Liverpool before the international break. And I, I think we did some of the same things to Bournemouth. I mean, Clive, that, that is really the question, though, right? I mean, we, we can come on to Lacazette and, and where the team goes from here in terms of reintegrating Alexis. But it is going to be sort of the midfield and how the midfield gives us balance that I think determines our season to some extent. I mean, can you make an argument that 
despite the heavy defeats away to the big six, which we have to find a way to stamp out. I mean, you can't keep doing that. It's embarrassing. That this way of playing, that getting all these attacking players into the final third, that pushing players up, that putting bad teams under pressure is actually the right way to play these smaller sides because you're, you're, you're not looking for one point. You're looking for three. And that while it sometimes means we're defending one-on-one in situations that look um, like we're disorganized or like we don't have a plan, is it maybe the plan? Is, I mean, we can't be doing this haphazardly. Is it maybe the plan that Arson's saying to win the league or to finish in top four? You have to take max points against smaller teams, and the best way to do that is to push into their defensive third. It could be. I think what was interesting was the confidence in our group to do the right thing. I mean, I want to know where the energy was at Anfield. So it's interesting you speak about Shaka's numbers. The first thing I do when I look at our centre midfield is I look at their energy levels and their distances. And what I saw was Shaka doing a lot of running into wide areas to cover fullbacks and really be mobile. It, it, it probably caused him to maybe lack a little bit of control. They were working very hard. There was one part of the game where Ramsey sort of slides to the left. He, he turns in, he turns out, and he plays a blind pass out to the right wing back and just boots it out of play. But he was so keen to move the ball quickly and get it out of that middle third so that we don't lose the ball in transition and then be broken into our back three. And everyone jeered, and I thought, you know what, at least I know the decision that he made was the right decision. We just weren't in position to receive the ball. But what I don't want to see is us getting clogged down with slow passing at the centre midfield. When you're receiving the ball, you're standing still target. What happens is the opposing players get your head down, take the ball off you, run, run, unopposed onto our back line. And that happened so many times at Anfield. We moved the ball so much quicker. And I keep saying to myself and to anyone who will listen, what's going to happen to Arsenal when we can't move the ball? What hap- Where do we go then? What's our game plan? How do we exit? How do we build confidence? How do we build momentum? And what teams have done for many, many years, they've put us under pressure so we can't move the ball. They foul us strategically to make sure we don't get no rhythm. And they and they upset us and on first and what we do is we overcommit and the first time we overcommit they score against us and they sit in. That's what teams have done for many, many years and we still need to fix that problem. I do think um seeing the energy of the group, you could tell within ten minutes. Remember I said to you, Paul last week, we'll know in five minutes how we're gonna play. Well the first five minutes we were perfect, right? The speed and I think the team has to realise that our strength, the way we attack, is actually in wide areas. How we connect, say, Ozil to Bellerin on that side and how we connect Alexis to Kolasinac on the left-hand side. We are a team that attacks on the inside shoulder, outside shoulders of, of wide players. And we really drive and we are very intelligent around the box. I've got Chelsea seen to get hold of Fendi and I say to him, how do we compare we, to Tottenham? And he says, with Tottenham, when they get around our box, it's far more muscle-bound. They smash the ball in, and we can deal with that. We're quite muscle-bound ourselves. When you get around the box, it's far more controlled, far more thoughtful. It's quite interesting to see how other teams see you. When you get around our box, we all get worried as fans. So we have to keep you away from our box. And that's what they try to do, especially when we play um, away from home. So I think we have got a real strength and real thought process and real creativity around opponents' box. We just got to get there. And Liverpool didn't let us get there. 
And um, I'm sure Chelsea will do their best not to let us get there on a, on Sunday. But I really liked the energy and purposefulness. And a team that looked really balanced. I thought it was our best back three. Monreal was very, very good. And it's always good sometimes when you go live. You see you see how the, where the players, who they rely on. And the amount of times Monreal gets the ball. And when he gets the ball, there's not a murmur from anybody who thinks he's going to lose it. He's got two or three what I call composure moves where he can either cross his way out of it or just goes one touch down the line. He looks really comfortable. He follows his pass. He presses in the other half. He wins his first headers. He's a very good player on that position. He, he could get he could get a new contract. I really think he could because he knows that position really really well. And the guy on the outside, he's doing all his running for him, and he's always and he can play the passes through to Alexis. He can play it to Ramsey. He can play to the forwards. It, it looked really good. It looked very good, very balanced. And it's it's a shame you had to wait till game four to um to see the see the balanced team that we've been yearning for for the last few weeks. Yeah, and it it is it's hard not to go back and want to complain about. It. I mean, I don't think anything was changing the, the Liverpool outcome, but you look at Kolasinac on the left, and you know the the kind of service, the kind of delivery he provided, and it. It's hard not to think that maybe there could have been an extra chance or two in the Stoke game, um, you know, to, to change the outcome there. But ultimately, we are where we are, and I think I do think selling Oxlade Chamberlain is, an addition, is addition by subtraction. I do think it helps sort of force balance on Arsene Wenger. I actually thought this was a good game for Bellerin, by the way, who seemed a lot more comfortable and is in his natural position again. Um, Paul, one thing that I think is interesting about the way we play right now is we, and th- this sort of relates maybe to Alexis coming back into the squad too, is we don't have a dribbler in the side and we completed fewer dribbles against Bournemouth than I think Oxley Chamberlain does in a, in a single game. Um, it does seem to me that we are missing someone who can carry the ball from midfield into attack, who can beat a man and pull players out of position and be a little bit elusive. I think what made Cazorla so special and in particular special enough that he could be effective with Coughlin is that he could do the job of two midfielders because his passing was exceptional, but he could get out of tight spaces on his own. Do you feel that that's maybe something that we're missing that might be a reason to bring Alexis back now with Oxley Chamberlain gone? No one who is able to collect the ball in the attacking phase and beat a man and carry it forward and, and sort of pull defenses out of position and break down press? Yeah, I mean, Alexis can do some of that, but he's I mean, he'll also lose got, the ball 20 times a game, but that's you know, a different He issue. will. Yeah. Um, but he's really, I mean, he does drop back into midfield from time to time, but that's that's his part-time job. His day, his day job is going to keep him in other spaces. So we definitely have that vulnerability, a short, quick passer in midfield and a dribbler out of midfield, kind of two of the things Santi gives you where he can very quickly kind of stitch something uh, when under pressure to play us out. And that's not really Ramsey, and it's not Chaka. So the big question will still be when a team as effectively presses our midfield for long periods of a game, how well do we handle that? And I don't, I, I didn't see anything against Bournemouth that made me think that problem was solved. Well, it's interesting because it's been a feature of Arsene Wenger's sides, right? I mean, there, he's had either a yeah. powerful or, or a, if not a powerful, a little technical player who could who could drive forward with the ball from midfield, whether it was Vieira in the more powerful mold or Rositsky or uh, Santi Cazorla. Um, Oxley chamberlain presumably was someone he thought would become that guy. But, there, I mean, Jack Wilshire should have been that guy. I think that ship has sailed. I'm not sure it's worth really delving into that. But 
That's yeah. something the Arsene Wenger sides have had that it has, seems but to be he missing. hasn't. He hasn't actively sought out that player, it would seem, for a long time. It's, I mean, it's not just that we didn't sign that player. I mean, Diaby, obviously, we know what happened there. He, yeah. he had guys, I think he, he thought When was the last time guy? we... Yeah, but if you look at the last four or five years, when was the last time we were even chasing somebody? Well, Cazorla definitely was that guy, right? I mean, Santi, yeah. Santi should have been that guy for a while, and injuries broke that down and I I mean if he was true in his statement that Oxlade Chamberlain eventually would be a central midfielder maybe that was where he saw that next guy coming from and didn't feel he needed to chase that but we talk about balance and part of balance is how you position your players on the pitch but I I do wonder if with a two-man midfield it can work without someone who's able to to just carry the ball up towards the attackers past past that first line of defense in midfield I think ultimately that's right. And besides, as you said, Wiltshire um, or playing or discovering some younger player, whether it's Maitland-Niles or we play, we start playing Willock in the second half of the season there with some miraculous um, uh, new discovery of a midfielder. I don't think we have that player in our, our squad today. Um, what gives me some hope that maybe we will handle that midfield pressure in a bigger game. But what we do have is a, a coordinated front pressing unit that's part of an overall team approach, at least based on Bournemouth. If we can keep that going forward, it, that looked to be part of an overall strategy with playing out from the back. And I thought it was particularly notable uh, from Czech uh, through Monreal and through Chaka how semi-suicidal in a positive way how committed we were to playing out from the back especially in the first half when the game was was well up for grabs and if we can combine a coordinated pressing and counter pressing and cool calm collected playing out from the back along the wings i think that'll go a considerable way to relieving the pressure on our midfield it doesn't obviate the need for having a guy who can play clever passes out and dribble his way out through midfield. But we don't have that. But if we have the other two pieces of it, um, I think we can certainly handle the, the press and the pressure against the bigger teams uh, compared to how we performed last year. So I think overall pretty hopeful. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the thing that I think is unfortunate in a way is you have to make a choice that you don't want to have to make. I mean, we already have to make the choice probably of, of benching Welbeck, who I think has done nothing to deserve that to make room for Alexis, who I, I think you have to play Alexis. He's still our best player, and I, I don't think you get very far without that. But the reality is maybe what would help the team in its weakest area, midfield, would be to take Alexis and Welbeck out of that role of one of the two behind the striker and turn that into an Awobi role or something like that. Someone else who is more of a link-up play type player, a connective player, adding an additional player who can kind of drop deeper into midfield and connect with Shaq and Ramsey, especially as Ramsey is making those runs forward so that there's a little more control. But then you say, do we have enough goals in the side just playing the one striker with Ozil and Awobi behind? And I think that points to the challenge with the back three that the squad was never built to be a back three squad. And now you're seeing some difficult choices needing to be made with personnel that maybe would be more suited to a back four, um, trying to get players on the pitch. Uwobi, for example, who is such a talented player, just does not appear to have a way back into the squad anytime soon. Maybe with Europa coming up, he will. And we'll come to that in just a second. But before we talk Europa and then ultimately Chelsea, 
Uh, Clive, I want to finish with this game, and there's a lot more we could get to. When Alexis came on, I thought he looked really bright, by the way. I thought he had a really good cameo. Um, I think he was very a little bright. bit unlucky. He was very good, created chances, had chances, and and uh, did not look fat. So there's that. Um, but as far as Lacazette, he is not a Robin Van Persie in the sense that he's going to drop deep and, and link up and then get into the box and get on the end of it. And And I think, you know, maybe he's going to be a little more in the Walcott mold in the sense of not going to have a, a mountain of touches and passes. But in terms of his tracking back, winning the ball, he did uh, win the ball to create a goal. Uh, I think it was, yeah, it was to create Welbeck's second. Um, he did almost score a goal helping Welbeck press from the front. He took his chance uh, that he did finish beautifully um, and created some opportunities with really just silky touches and, and intelligent play. I mean, it's been a few games now. Unfortunately, he didn't start against Liverpool, but... Are you feel, I know this was not necessarily the guy you wanted. Are you feeling pretty good about who, we, who we've got on our hands now? Yeah, I, I didn't know much about him before he came, and I, and I was wondering what he would be like. No, wait, i got to like, stop you. You're doing this wrong. You watch two minutes on YouTube, and then you say you know the player inside out and talk like an expert. But Okay, <laughs> well, we, we I, work I on that later. I didn't, so I didn't – I thought it was hard to read. It's easy to see the goals, but I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, would he survive in England? Is he strong enough? And some people that I know that really do watch the French League were absolutely adamant. And, and these are just not, you know, Euro hipster. These are people that really think this through. And um, and I, and I said, OK, I'm going to hold my thoughts, hold my gut feel. And, uh, you know, watch him preseason, watch him again on Saturday. He's just very, he's an adult footballer. And we're sometimes, we don't buy ready-made footballers very often. And he's a ready-made adult footballer that knows his role, that looks to link, very efficient on the ball. And when you watch a game, you think, okay, turn, if he turns right, the game's going to open up. And he just turns right, right? And if he was almost, I remember Arsene said something about Seth Fabregas one time. He said, when I was watching him when he was young, I would like, when you get the ball, I'd see there are four options. I would freeze the video and say, that's the best option. I'd start it again. And every time I started it again, he chose the best option. I thought that's a player that understands the game. I sometimes feel that about Lacazette. You watch him, you think there's the best option. And he chooses it. He, whether it's shot selection, pass selection, how to hold it, when to tackle. He does the right thing. I think our challenge is to get him to touch the ball a bit more often because he's quite a quiet guy, quiet footballer that just goes about his job in a very cool Bob Marley type way. And when the ball lands at his feet, you just think, you get excited and you think, why? Because he's doing everything correctly. And we, you heard me speak about Danny Welbeck and how he sometimes can look a little bit wild with, with what I call a lack of shot preparation. And uh, funny enough, he got his stride pattern perfect for the second goal. But when he can, when he approaches the box, he's just he's too fast, he's too rushed. Even his first goal, he nearly overran it and headed it back onto himself. He just needs to calm down. Where um, he just needs to look at Lacazette because everything he does, the way he approaches the football, is technically perfect. Good Do you think the reason pattern. he's so calm is all the marijuana you referred to him smoking? Well, maybe, maybe I'm not sure what he's doing, but I, I mean, I, you he, mentioned Bob Marley. I assume that's what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. He's just very cool. I mean, when he when he took his shot, I think almost everybody in the ground expected that to hit the back of the net. No right to twenty yards out, 
but the way he approached it, the way he looked at the chance, and he didn't just strike it, he lifted it into the corner. I mean, he's a proper footballer, and I think if we can, there is a level of adaptation for these guys, you know, and, and Colin Sinek as well. Colin Sinek, towards the last 10 minutes, he was on it, he hands on his knees. He was finding it very tiring, and sometimes we all want to see these guys out there, but there is a level of intensity of our game that does take a bit of time to get used to. And maybe, although we don't like it, we don't know what's happening behind the scenes. We want to see him out there all the time, all our new shiny players, but maybe they would struggle to play every three, four days at that level of intensity at, say, Anfield. So I'm trying to find reasons, but he looks very, very, very much an Arsenal footballer. And anyone he plays with is going to look good. Because yeah. he understands how the game, our game is. And he's, I don't know how he arrived at us. Maybe he could have gone to Atletico Madrid. But to me, he's made a real good football stylistic choice to come and play with Ozil, Sanchez, Giroud, anybody. They all play, they all talk his language, that's what I'm trying to say. It's certainly... I was particularly impressed by how inf- how fluid our front three were. It wasn't at all a two with the one in front of them. And very often they'd line up with Welbeck in the middle and Lacazette on the right. Uh, Ozil was, uh, the breakdown covered that pretty well. Ozil had those runs in behind from being on the corner to the defender. I thought it was a really uh, integrated front three, uh, pressing-wise and attacking-wise and getting in behind-wise. Yeah, and, and, and definition. Sorry, yeah, that was and definition. <laughs> and 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 definition of roles. Right? Well, that's what you're sort of. Some, yeah. That's what you're leading to. They all took up the role that was required at that moment. So yeah. if Lacazette went short, then Özil went spun wide. Özil spins very early. The moment we get the ball, he's off, and his movement demands the ball to be on its way. And um, and uh, and, and Welbeck just energy, just work rate and effort. We just follow his example. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a lovely balance. And I do look around the league and I look at, I'm always looking at Chelsea and Tottenham, right? But you look at Chelsea, Tottenham, Manchester United, and, and you look at, say, Tottenham with, you know, Ericsson, Ali, and, and Kane. And then you look at our front three, stroke four, you know, Alexis, Ozil, and Lacazette. I think that stands up with anybody's. I really do. We haven't seen it yet. But I think it stands up with anybody. I think it stands up with Lukaku, Rashford, Mkhitaryan. I think it stands up with them. I think it stands up with City, Aguero, Jesus, Sane, whichever combination you want to play, Sterling. Our front three has got real potential. It's got balance. It's got the right age profile around it. They're not kids. They're adults. They know the game. They're experienced. I, I think a lot... I know we put a lot of emphasis into Alexis this year to get us into the top four there's six million quid burning a hole in our in our club finances but if they all hit it off let's see where we end up yeah and well and this is the problem because i mean there's alexis and ozil and sanchez and welbeck and awobi and theo and Giroud and n- nobody in midfield and uh once that sniper took out uh francis cochran yeah. um which you know i have <laughs> no love for him uh but you never want to see anyone Take a sniper bullet in a football stadium. Um, He'd actually done. I know it was only born. I know he'd done fine. I know it's fine. He he did well. You you know what? You know what, Mister Quixote? You don't need to tilt at this windmill. It's totally fine. Like he was doing fine. Um, All right, Mister Smardars. How are you playing, Alexis and Sanchez? Then 
Well, they're the same person, so I'm just going to put one of them on the pitch and hope it works out. You listed them twice. I did. Okay, fine. Yeah. Son of a bitch. Uh, Welbeck, Alexis, Ozil, Lacazette. That's it. That's the Best guy. But by the way, you know what I love about Lacazette? When he gets the ball, the game seems to slow down. He doesn't snatch at it. He doesn't. Spoke. He doesn't panic. You know, if you look at some of these players, Ox, Theo, even Giroud to some extent. Um, you know, guys that we've had since dare I say it, Van Persie. They've they've kind of been oh, well back even they they've snatched at the ball they've been a little bit uncomfortable wasteful. and wasteful in the final third and Lacazette seems to be such a so, so clear on what he wants to do with the ball the game slows down he feels very comfortable in those critical areas and that's what you need the players that win things feel very comfortable with the ball at their feet in the in the critical areas where they can hurt you and he seems to have that um he's silk so you know we we've got those attacking options it's midfield where there's going to be an issue and and you know we are going to have to figure that out because at some point Ramsey and Shaka aren't going to play together and it's not like they've been perfect but they're at least something so uh Paul I I think we will do a podcast after um the Europa League game so I don't want to talk Chelsea yet cuz We'll probably do a little bit of a gloss over on the Europa League game, which for us will be like 55 minutes, and then we'll talk Chelsea. Um, so let's just stick with Europa League. Look, I think all of us are of a slightly different mind about how seriously to take the Europa League, but in this case, with a big, big away game, a scary away game at the weekend, Sunday, and a Thursday game against Cologne, or Cologne, or however you say it, however you want to say it, say it however you want, I'm personally not too concerned about it. Um, I think my expectation is that it'll be a mix of experience and youth. Do you think he'll go full Capital One Cup or whoever the hell the sponsor is now, Cup? Um, or do you think this is going to be a stronger team than maybe we expect? Um, I think, well, I think it's going to be a really strong Capital One Cup. Uh well, because, that's a fair point. All those players I named—I mean, Giroud and Theo and Awobi and right—I mean, there's a lot of good yeah, guys that's there. A good, there's a great front three. The midfield's the big question, uh, and also whether he'd really leave both Alexis and Ozil out from just a consistency of creation standpoint. But um, you know, if he's going to play El Nenny and say Ainsley, Maitland, Niles, or Willock, um, that, that's kind of well, the only one who seems to be banging on the door is Reese Nelson, right? Yeah. So uh, I see him as our right wing back for sure. Uh, left wing back's an interesting question. Yeah. Um, that, that's really the missing piece for me. Midfield, he's got a few options, um, but he's probably going to want an experienced player somewhere uh, in the midfield. But I don't know. Is it, th- those are the Who's two it gonna positions. Who's it El Nenny and who? And who? Yeah. So, so does he play Chaka on the basis that Chaka seems to have good legs at the end of the day, stamina-wise, Clive? May I wouldn't play any of the players that are playing. Man, why on do you Sunday. hate the Europa League so much? It may not be the competition we want, but it's the competition we deserve. <laughs> don't care. I honestly don't care. Is we're playing Thursday night to Sunday lunchtime, and that's that's short, right? So at least it's in London. Play. We're not going far. Yeah, but I wouldn't play any of them, right? So the sort of team I'd pick, well, I wrote this down earlier. So I'd I'd go with Spina, obviously. I'd go I'd go back three again with um, Murasaka, Chambers is back fit, and, and Holding. I would play Debushi right wing back, right? Ooh. Might as well get him out there. Okay. He's got he's got eighty thousand pounds a week, he might as well earn some of it, right? So and I don't mind him playing right centre back and maybe Chambers playing wing back because we're gonna need Chambers to learn that position because in my mind 
he's the he's potentially the the backup for um, for Bellerin. Um, Not Nelson. Young, uh, no, I, and I'll tell you why. You know, Nelson for go. me, and Nelson for me will be one of the two behind the striker. He'll his best position is is where Alexis plays, and that's where he'll end up. When Alexis goes. Uh, that's where he'll end up playing for us in the first team, I hope. If we're playing win-back, that's a crime. The guy is incredible and he's a forward player. He's not an Oxlade Chamberlain power runner winger. He can do it, but let's not let's not let's not do that to him. Put him into small spaces. He's got great awareness in crowds. Uh, I would definitely have him as one of those forward players. There's a young kid at left back called Josh De Silva, who has played time yeah. in centre midfield. He's a very tall player. He's had, time he's, at this, yeah, he's had time at centre-half. He's been as a striker as a kid. He's now playing left wing-back for the under-23s and looks really impressive. Uh, along with Nelson, is probably the, one of the most impressive youngsters with Ainsley Maitland and Niles that we've seen so far this season. I wonder if he'll stick with a back three, because it's quite easy to introduce a young player into a back three and just say, run up and down that left-hand side and have fun rather than playing the back four where you could find... Isn't that what he says team. to all his players in all his games? Yeah, you could be right. You could be right. <laughs> I see El Nenny centre mid with with Jack, and I'd like to see us play three. You think Wilshire will field. start? I think Wilshire will definitely start. Oh, for God's sake! It, and, um, it seemed like Arson though, because he was asked in the press conference, and it was kind of he was kind of like scrambling at the thought of Wilshire playing in the Europa League. So I, I'm not sure it was his first thought, but with Coughlin injured, I guess that shakes it up. So yeah, it does. Coughlin would have played for definite, and probably would have been Coughlin El Nenny and. And Jack may have been one of the four positions, but I mean, I'd, I'd see El Nenny and Jack playing, and I'd like to see three in centre midfield. I, I think Awobi, who had a really good preseason, I'm sort of been thrown to the curb. I'd like to see him play as, as a three, so three-five-two with Theo and Giroud up front, and bring on the, um, Nelson later on and the younger players later on. But I would definitely... But maybe Alexis may be on the bench because he needs game time. Alexis may start in the Wobies position and then come off after 55 minutes. So that's where we're going to get our experience from. But yeah, there's plenty there, right? There's plenty of players there that need to play. And so that's not really a young team. That's an experienced team, apart from maybe Justice Silva playing in there. I would love to see Maitland-Niles get some time in centre midfield. I think he he potentially is that physical player that we miss. He's not experienced enough. We hasn't been tested. But when I when I worry about Arsenal is when I, when our rhythm stops, where do we go? Can we physically cope? Can we physically run with Bakayoko and Kante on a tight Chelsea pitch when as soon as they win it, give it to Hazard? Five yards are on the edge of our box. That's what it feels like sometimes at Stamford Bridge compared to Wembley where we do very well against them because it's a much bigger surface and we can recover into the big spaces. So that's the type of team I'd like to see. And um, interesting to see if he, what formation he chooses or if he chooses to experiment with a, a 4-3-3 with three in midfield and see how that would work for the game at the weekend. Yeah, I, I, I could see that. I mean, look, I, I hate to point this out, but this is a Bundesliga team that we're playing. I know they lost their top goal scorer in the summer, but I mean, like, you know, we, would we put that kind of side out for... I, you know, Bournemouth, I guess, would be a team that comes to mind or, you know, a, a Huddersfield or something, you know, and they probably are above that level anyway. So I I think at some point we have to decide, do we want to get out of this group? I mean, it, it's a group we should easily get out of, but I don't know that we can do it playing the kind of teams 
you guys are suggesting. I mean, maybe on the strength of the attacking power we have with the Giroud and a Walcott and a Wobie or whatever, that's enough to get it done. Um, but given that our best 11 is not very good defensively, I don't know how much confidence I would have in, in basically a U23 side back there plus Per Mertesacker. Um, no, I think if you, if you look at that team, it, it, yeah. honestly, if you look at that team, you've got, we got 140 grand Theo up front with Giroud. No, I, I agree. The, atta- the attacking and is not an issue. Yeah, but- yeah we've got El Nenny in there. We've got there's one kid in my team in, in De Silva and and maybe maybe that won't happen that's just a guess well Cham- Chambers a guess. and Holding I guess e- e- that's fair they're not they're not U23 guys they're no, they're, they're just not. young Spina. first team players I suppose exactly that need to support a per Mercosur and he'll be there right so um I, I'm I'm okay with that I mean for me I'm not even agree to me and I was I was talking to people today online it's for me the most important thing is to get Arsenal back into the top four and surely, with the decision we've made with Alexis, that's our goal. Wait, let me we ask can... you this just real quick, though. I mean, if, if that's the goal, if the goal is to get back into the Champions League, because you don't care if you finish four. I mean, if they give Champions League for finishing eighth, we'd be saying finish in the top eight. So yeah. if the goal is to get back into the Champions League, realistically, the only other team that should win the Europa League on odds, I realize it's a total crapshoot, is the team that falls out of Spurs' Champions League group. That's going to be a really good team, whoever it is. Dortmund, yeah. Madrid, Spurs, whoever it is. Um I mean, in theory, I guess Spurs could get hammered so badly in that group that they don't even but the, get into. But the that Europe. doesn't make it fifty-fifty. No, I'm just not. Cause... No, Paul, Paul, I'm not saying it makes it fifty-fifty. I'm just saying that that it's probably eight to one. All right, no, so... again, we we covered this. I, again, my point is not that we should feel entitled to it. What I'm saying is, which do you think are the longer odds: winning the Europa League or being better than winning two the Europa of League. Not two even of close. United, Chelsea, yeah. City, Spurs, and Liverpool? You think you think we can be it's better than one. two of those teams? It's eight to one. Well, we have a much better shot than eight to one at, at getting in the top four. Yeah, I think the league has got to be everything. I mean, for so many reasons, right? We feel we speak about the squad a lot. We speak about the things that um, potentially happening in the in the background. We got our two superstars not signing contracts. There are rumours of Ramsey being offered a contract and not and, and refused the first offer, which may be bartering, but we don't know. We just lost a 24-year-old to Liverpool. We've got a team of 30, approaching 30-year-olds. Our better players are at that level. And then we've got a, a group of younger players that are not quite there yet. We've got Bellerin is 21-22. Potentially, he asked to leave. So what's, what's really, really key for our future is that we get back to the top four so we can build how we want to build. If we don't get back into the top four, then we'll be forced to build from a different... We won't be shopping on the top shelf. We'll be shopping on the medium shelf. right? So there will be no choice in how we have to build because there will be two years out and we're going to have a significant rebuild. The contractual situation in this season is going to be huge. For me top four via the league is really important, not just qualifying for it, but via the league, because positionally, it makes us more attractive if we're really competing. And players want to see something that's moving forward. We've won cuts before and it hasn't attracted people. So we need to make ourselves more attractive by being really competitive in the Premier League, in my opinion. But I do recognise that nobody agrees with me at all. No, I, I, I don't on, disagree with anything. what Manchester United did. But Manchester United had a massive squad with £250 million worth of investment and they limped over the line. We haven't got that. We've got rid of a few of our squad. We can still name a competitive second team. We're going to lose that when injuries come on board, no doubt. I think it's very tiring competition that can only take away from the league. 
you can see what happens when we lose a league game, the world ends. For me, the league is everything, but let's see how we go, eh? <laughs> I'm with you, Clive. You can't fool the fat man. If you can't perform in the league, you're, the ground you're on is so shaky as a team, I, a squad, I, yes. a manager. And, and I guess the question also becomes, look, the Europa League is the best way to destroy your league campaign. If you take it very seriously, you are essentially giving up on the league. We've seen that from other teams that have tried it. I, I... I am not prepared to say top four is gone. And to be fair, I don't like to point out when I'm wrong. Thankfully, it's not necessary very often. But I mean, the odds on us finishing top four, technically, according to the betting markets, are two to one. And I think Paul's right. We're about six to eight to one in the Europa League. So technically speaking, the odds suggest it'd be easier for us to get back into the top four. But um, there will be time to debate all of that. Uh, as they say, judge me in May. So uh, you guys can fuck off until then. In any event, uh, hopefully we can win it. Look, I think it'll be interesting. It is... You know, on the one hand, Chelsea are in the Champions League this week, and I think you could argue they have an easier game in the Champions League than we have in the Europa League, and they get to play a game oh, a day earlier. They have a team that sounds vaguely like an epithet. Uh, Quarabag, right? Carry a bag. Carry a bag. I'm sorry if I offended Sherbage. anybody by saying that. Um, okay, so, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, it, it is still not about the title of the competition, but the team that you're playing, and, and it's not like we're playing carry a bag or Young Boys, or one of those ridiculous named teams. Anyway, uh, no offense if you play for one of those teams. Um, okay, anyway, Paul's on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Thanks, Paz. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim, who has a real job, was working at it late tonight, so he could not be on. We have no idea what we're going to do about putting a pod up post-Europa League. We will try. Maybe uh, we will do it right at full time if... Uh, if these guys are up for it, we'll talk about that offline because that seems like a really boring thing to talk about on the actual pod. Um, but odds are uh, we will all be back for the rehashing of the uh, astounding victory at Stanford Bridge over the weekend. In any event, uh, give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about us in the comment section. I still strongly recommend writing them about Clive, but if you want to write it about the rest of us, that's fine too. Uh, you can uh, you know, please, please do that. We really appreciate it. In any event, we will talk to you after the game on Thursday. You know what? Football on Tuesday and Wednesday is boring anyone. Anyway, everyone, uh, up the arsenal. Cheers to Thursday Night Football. Talk to you after that. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.